Bring in show music, please. Hi, I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. Today on Squawk Pod. Famed buy and hold billionaire, Elon Musk's biggest fan, it's Barron Capital's Ron Barron. And those two companies, Tesla's 10%, SpaceX is 4%. So that's our 14% of our money is in those two companies. 86% of our money is not in those two companies. Why he's bullish on stocks and on his signature long-term optimism. You would never buy a two-year bond or a five-year bond or Ever. a 10-year bond. I, I've never owned a bond. Ever. Ever. Not one. Plus, Joe Manchin shakes up the balance of power in the Senate and unpredictable weather Close the f- door. at a presentation by Fed Chief Jay Powell. Yeah, it raises a street cred for but he, But he left the door open for to more rate for, hikes. Very good. <laughs> very good. It's Friday, November 10th, 2023. Squawk Pod begins right now. Up track, stand under by in three, two, one, cue Andrew. Good morning and welcome to Squawk Box right here on CNBC. I'm Andrew Ross Sorkin along with Joe Kernan and Melissa Lee. I'm live this morning at the 30th annual Barron Investment Conference. We're here at Lincoln Center and we're going to have Ron Barron on in just a moment. He'll be joining us. We're going to be talking to him about uh, so many things, uh, including Tesla. By the way, uh, there is a is this is this true? This is the first sighting in New York. Can I can we say that? It's of uh, uh, the truck, the truck. The Cybertruck in New York City is literally sitting right outside uh, of here uh, in front of the in front of the fountain uh, here in Lincoln Center. All right. We look forward to it, Andrew. Meantime, let's get you caught up. Uh, We snapped that eight day winning streak on the S&P 500 yesterday, mostly because of the rise that we saw in Treasury yields. This followed immediately that 30 year auction um, that saw that sent yields higher. The 10 year yield popped up to four point six percent this morning. The two year above five percent, five point zero two six percent. Um, again, that bond auction really spooked the markets in yesterday's session. Add to that uh, some comments from Fed Chair uh, Jerome Powell yesterday. The FOMC is committed to achieving a stance of monetary policy that is sufficiently restrictive to bring inflation down to 2% over time. We are not confident that we've achieved such a stance. We know that ongoing progress toward our 2% goal is not assured. Inflation has given us a few head fakes along the way. If it becomes appropriate to tighten policy further, we will not hesitate to do so. So uh, he leaned hawkish, and the markets took that cue. This is interesting. I, I knew there were protesters at Jay Powell's uh, conference, but it, it wasn't Palestinian. It had nothing no, to do climate. with it. it was climate. It was climate. Did you hear? Did, he used uh, wait, the F word. Well, we bleeped it, of course. Expect growth, growth to moderate in coming quarters, of course. Thank you. We are putting us at Thank you very much. Disaster. Thank you very much. Yep. Thank you. Just close the door. Close the door. You said shut the you know what door. I think it's really cool that uh, that raises. I, I think it's close the effing street door. Cred? Yeah, it raises his street cred. For but he me. but he left the door open for Two more rate for, hikes. <laughs> very good. Very good. You're right. But but I saw that yesterday. And but now I I, I didn't know it was climate protest. Every single thing, there's climate protesters now. Yeah, they, they, they destroy masterpieces from hundreds of years ago from artists. That, that they're, you know, that, that learn from that uh, about that, that contingent. You've yeah. you got to be able to glean something from what we're talking about there. That's a real bleep because we've always joked around that we would just bleep random words for mm. fun to make it seem like we're just, you know, sailor's mouth yeah. kind of thing. But he actually, that was his language, colorful language. 
Yeah. You probably thought he was off mic. Uh, uh, never uh, assume you're off mic. Uh, right. Never, <laughs> assume, never assume you're off mic. It, it is amazing that in, in normal conversation, it's a fairly, it's, it's not unusual to hear that, that word occasionally. Anymore. Yeah. Yeah. And just, I mean, just about anybody. Right. I, I mean, my kids now, it's, I don't even. I don't even effing notice. Democratic Senator Joe Manchin of West Virginia said yesterday he would not run for re-election in 2024. It was in a video posted on X. Manchin called the decision not to run one of the toughest of his life. I've made one of the toughest decisions of my life and decided that I will not be running for re-election to the United States Senate. But what I will be doing is traveling the country and speaking out to see if there is an interest in creating a movement to mobilize the middle and bring Americans together. Seen as a major blow to Democrats who saw Manchin, a centrist incumbent in a deep red state, is crucial to their hopes of keeping the narrow Senate uh, majority past the 2024 election cycle. Manchin said he's not leaving politics entirely, uh, sparking speculation he might be considering a White House bid. Uh, before his announcement, you might have seen Senator Manchin joined us on Squawk Box and made the case uh, that the presidential field is still open. The people haven't been able to speak yet. The party, basically the Democrat and Republican Party, might be set on where they're going and who they think is going to be the representative, but the people haven't spoken up yet. And when asked whether Manchin is considering a presidential run, a source with the direct knowledge of Manchin's plans told NBC News that uh, nothing is off the table. Yesterday, he, he alluded to, to something. He said, yeah, I'm not done. I may be doing, you know, I, I will have more on that a little bit later. And I was a little disappointed. He could have told us, uh, theoretically. But, but he, if you notice, he did it in a video, and it almost looked like a fireside chat from FDR right. or something. He, he did a, a very, you know, it was a very formal setting, uh, sort of setting up maybe something that down the road. Well, the, the fact that he he did the uh, the Fiscal Stability Act with Romney and we, they had them together. I, know, I mean, the draft Mansion Romney movement must is, have gone nuts is, is Ro over that. Is Romney VP in, in that uh... draft Romney Mansion movement? Oh, is it draft? Yeah. I, I don't know. Maybe it'd be co co-consuls, like uh, co-presidents, co-consuls. Yeah. <laughs> Andrew, for a second, I thought you were watching the tree go by on the truck or something. I didn't know uh, on the, the, NB, the, you know, the Rockefeller Center tree. I said, oh, there it is. I see it out there. I didn't know what you're, but I can't believe Ron Barron has, has well, I, I can't believe it. So he's got the juice to get that truck there for you how, guys. How many trucks he's are the there it, fully produced? There's only one, and it's the first time. <laughs> there's it, only one. It's, there's, there's only one right now. This is the first time there's been a Cybertruck sighting in New York City. I actually told Ron, Ron's right here. We're going to come back in a, in a, this is like a tease because we're going to go to a commercial. But my worry was, I said, are, you know, is a lot of people from all over the city going to now come here just to see the Cybertruck? There is security in front of here. So if you're trying to see the truck, I don't know if people can actually see it unless they're actually climb up and look over in, the unless they're in, invited uh, members to your conference, Ron. So right. we'll have to see. You got to get some pictures of that. You we'll get, we'll get some pictures. We'll get some images in just a minute. Uh, Ron Barron is here. Uh, this is. Uh, uh, your party, and uh, we're going to come back with the leader of that party in a second after this. We're going to talk about Tesla, uh, as you imagine, with the Cybertruck and so many other things. We should mention the Tesla shares. Uh, they did uh, drop by about 5% yesterday. Uh, that was after this HSBC uh, analyst call initiating coverage of the company with a $146 price target, uh, calling it a very expensive 
auto company. I, I imagine Ron has lots of views about that. Cheese will be next. You heard it. Next up is legendary investor Ron Barrett, the billionaire bull of Tesla and Elon Musk, the famed buy and hold investor with over a billion dollars worth of SpaceX in his portfolio. I don't have a lot of cash either. I'm always invested. And whenever I have a chance to buy more, I buy more. Barron's annual investor conference is unlike any other. Cyber trucks, musical performances, swag bags, and of course, a healthy dose of that Barron optimism. By December of 25, I think we'll be back to where we were in, uh, and what gives you that confidence? The businesses are growing. The multiples are now lower. And to see pictures of the Cybertruck's first visit to the streets of New York, check us out on X, formerly Twitter, at Squawk CNBC. We'll be right back. You're listening to Squawk Pod from CNBC. Here's Andrew Ross Sorkin from the 30th annual Barron Investment Conference in New York City. Now is the man himself, Ron Barron, chairman and CEO of Barron Capital. Good morning to you, sir. Good morning. Good this, man, is always, huh? this, is a big, this is always a big day for you. Very big day. And you've put together a whole list of really remarkable CEOs uh, that, and companies that you've been investing in, and this is now year 30. Uh, it's year 41 or 42 for my business, and for this conference, it's the 30th one. Amazing. Uh, so I teased it before. You, I, I, did you have to call Elon to get the cyber truck that's sitting outside? How yeah, did that work? Yes. <laughs> y- yeah, yes? Yeah. And they take it on a truck, or what happened? I don't know how it got here. I presume it's by truck. And have you driven it yet? No, but I'm getting one. I looked at it just now. That's the first time I saw it. I'm getting one. Um, <laughs> let's talk about Tesla, as we always do, but then I want to sort of broaden it out and talk about the markets and some of the other companies that you're invested in. There was an analyst call just yesterday, this is HSBC, which really uh, initiated coverage. They said that their price target was $146. I assume you probably looked at this and, and probably laughed given your very bullish views on Tesla. But what was so interesting about the report was that they really were trying to define the company as an EV automobile maker. Is that the way you think about this company? I think about it as a technology company that's providing services to other autom- their own company and to others. They can't possibly be matched by anyone else. Um, they have data, technology. They make cars cheaper than anyone. When Ford makes one of these cars, an electric car, every car they make, they lose $36,000 on. $36,000 per car. Our company now makes about eight or $9,000 in profit a car. They were making $15,000 in profit a car. But if they build a plant, that cost $7 billion for a million cars. That plant was making $15 million a year, uh, $15 billion a year on a $7 billion investment. $15 billion on a $7 billion investment. An ordinary industrial company would make 15% on capital, 20% the most. This guy's making his capital twice a year. Now, now he's making it once a year. He's making $8 billion in a $7 million plant. So he's the lowest cost person. Everything about the business is time to drive prices lower. Uh, right now, they will be in a very, in the, in the 1900s, early 1900s, the automobile companies were tremendous innovators. Uh, no longer is the case. In the 1950s, they decided they were going to go for profitability, and they outsourced all of their supply chain to their detriment. And all these companies went bankrupt, hundreds of them went bankrupt. And now, uh, the way we're going is that their electric cars, they drive um, I guess they have about 30 miles a day, 30 or 40 miles a day, and they have five, three million of them that are collecting data. 100 million miles a day they're getting for data, and then they're also getting compute that they're going to have more compute than anyone in the world in 18 months. So we to train it. 
Have you been surprised, and this is true of the, the other EV makers, a lot of EV makers have put up big goals in terms of sales, and then they've scaled those, the, those goals back saying, there's just not the customer demand. Do you think that is the responsibility or a function of the products that these other automakers are putting out? Or do you think that there actually isn't the demand for EVs writ large that maybe was anticipated or expected? There's a billion and a half cars that have to be, get replaced. Uh, they do about 80 million cars a year, and a small percentage of those, 10%, are electric right now. Uh, ultimately, it's going to be all electric. Uh, but the, rise, the reason there's not more demand is the cars that are out there are not very attractive by the dealers, you know, the, by the car companies, and they're expensive, number two. And then in addition to that, the dealers who sell them, they don't want to sell them because there's nothing to service. The dealers make all their money on servicing. So dealers sell them, they're not selling them. You talked about trying to bring prices down, and that's something that Elon Musk has talked a lot about. At the same time that he's going to try to bring prices down, you have the, poten the, the, the potential for Tesla to become a target of the UAW, which of course just made this new deal uh, with the other big automakers at meaningfully higher prices in terms of what those employees are going to be getting. What do you think about that? I think Tesla's employees are the highest paid workers in the world as far as the automobile companies go, because they own stock. As a function of the stock. And uh, that stock option would not be present in all instances if it were a unionized company. When the unions were in control of Fremont, as soon as they had trouble, they ran from it. Tesla took over that plant in Fremont after the unions had left, after the company had gone bankrupt. Uh, Tesla employees, there, there's a, a good story that uh, one of the executives of, and then I want to talk about it. Yeah, yeah, no, of course. Uh, uh, one of the executives who devised the pay plan for the employees was telling me that he said, small Jewish guy like me, and he was walking through a plant and a large black man walks over to him, shaved head, tattoos all over the place, and says, Ira, Ira, are you the man uh, who devised the pay plan for us? And uh, he says, yes. He said, I want you to know that I'm the first man in my family, the first person in my family to ever be able to afford a home. And thank you very much. And so the workers there make more than anyone else by far. And their health care, all the benefits are better. The unions have been trying to organize Tesla, Toyota, all the foreign right. companies for years. They failed repeatedly. Why? Because those companies are not, the union's not in business to keep the employees. They're in unions to have the power. Uh, before we move off Tesla, just oh, for by a the second. way, the stock went down yesterday, not yep. because of that report. Okay, it went what do you down think it because of, of Joe Biden, President Biden, who, by the way, I love what he's doing for Israel, but I don't like that much what he's doing in business. Um, some things I like, uh, but he's the one who said unions should organize Tesla. That's what happened yesterday when the stock went down. Okay, we'll come back to, to the Biden piece in just a second. Melissa Lee, I think, has a quick Tesla question because I know I want to talk to you about a whole bunch of other things. Melissa. Yeah, Ron, thanks for taking my question. Um, you know, when you think about China, how, how do you think about the growth there? Because that's a key piece of the Tesla story. Lee Auto reported uh, its earnings yesterday and had strong EV guidance. It's gaining market share. I'm just wondering how you think about the competition, but also the weakening Chinese consumer. And have you discounted that portion of the Tesla story at all, given the, the Chinese economic forecasts out there? Tesla right now is doing about a million eight cars a year. When we started investing in the company seven years ago, when we invested between 2014 and 2016, they were doing 41,000 cars a year. So 41,000 cars a year to a million eight, they're on their way to 20 million cars. China is about a million right now of their two million eight, uh, but uh, a large percentage of what they make in China is exported from China to Europe. Uh, and uh, the more they build in Europe, of course, the more they're gonna save on transportation costs and duties. Uh, the idea is that China, 
uh, invited Musk in and invited him in because the Chinese car companies had done very poorly for a long time. And the promise was that he's going to help them uh, become better car manufacturers and going to be, he's not trying to take over the market in China, better car manufacturers and develop a local supply chain. And so he was the only one that's ever been invited into China that's been able to not have a partner, a local partner, to operate their business. So I'm convinced that they have good operations in China. The person who runs their Chinese business, the, uh, the Tesla business in, uh, uh, in Austin, in fact, is probably in line to be an a, 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 you know, important person uh, at Tesla overall. He's now, he's Chinese and he runs, he was brought from China to, to Texas and uh, uh, runs the business there. He's going to be in charge of all the automobile business. So I think the relations they have with China are exceptionally good. Uh, uh, they're both people are getting something from it. Uh, and I think that that business will continue to grow, but he's going to open plants all around the world uh, for low cost cars. And wait till you see what's going to happen when all of a sudden they start selling cars instead of for $40,000 a piece for $25,000 a piece, which is going to happen in the past a year, year and a half uh, from their new model. The new model, they think, is going to do 5 million cars a year. 5 million cars a year for the Model 2. That's coming. I, I know we still have problems when we move off Tesla. By the way, but I just want to know this. Do you believe that, that autonomous cars and this whole idea of robo-taxes and the like has to happen? Is that part of the valuation plan for you? And the reason I ask is you just saw that GM Cruise effectively shut down their autonomous vehicle program in the U.S., at least temporarily, because they haven't been able to get it to the right place. Clearly, Tesla hasn't been able to, ha hasn't gotten there yet either. And so I'm curious, and you know, we just had uh, Derek Hazrushahi on from Uber. He said, look, it could be another five or 10 years before this type of technology is, is really ready. And we've been talking that five or 10 years sort of path for five or 10 years. Uh, we have a small investment in Cruise, uh, $30 million. Uh, I made the investment because I wanted to learn about the process that they were doing. Every one of those Cruise cars costs $250,000, $250,000 to have the equipment that's on it in order to operate autonomously. Uh, they have to be specifically in mapping every city, and it's, it's, it's a tougher business. We were out there a couple of months ago uh, to drive around the one. It was pretty amazing. You're driving along, they, oh, they pick you up at 9 o'clock at night, right. you drive around San Francisco, you pull up and there's a car next to you that's also no driver in it, and it pulls away and you pull away. It's like the headless horseman, I mean, really something. So, uh, so we have a small investment in that. I really like Kyle. Uh, I like the executive who was there who left and goes to, went to Exxon. Uh, I think ultimately uh, Microsoft thought they were excellent and uh, invested in it as well. Uh, but we have a very small investment. But as far as Tesla, that's software. No one has that. They have data. No one has that. Tesla is going to have that car. They're going to be able to charge for autonomous two or $3,000 a car a year to have your car operate all by itself. And it's virtually there. And, and I don't think people realize that they have any idea of what that's going to mean. And that's a business that ultimately, that business alone is going to be worth a trillion dollars. That business alone is going to right. be able to do $100 billion, $80 billion a year of revenues in three or four years and growing every time. And they'll do 20 million cars a year ultimately for themselves. And then in addition to that, of the 80 million cars, probably another 30 million will use their technology. Mary Barra, who I'm friendly with, asked me about, um, I don't know, a year ago. Could I fix her up with Elon? Not a date, but to fix her up. And I said, right. sure, I'll set it up. And they went to Allen Company Conference, and they met. And, uh, and, and she hadn't met before. And, and then afterwards, uh, then I saw her on your program. And she quoted, and she said, uh, oh, yeah, Elon, we text all the time. 
does Elon Musk call you up on the phone and say, hey, hey, Mary, you want to do we, this? We actually text each other. That, and you have so, a texting relationship? Yeah, not we, not we signal, it's text, straight? <laughs> I mean, it, we've, we've met before on a handful of occasions, and we, and we text each other. So no, no DMing would, on, on so Twitter I, now? So I texted him. The reason that's important is that the reason they do this with the uh, charging as well, the reason they're doing all that is because Tesla doesn't want to put other guys out of business. They're going to be his customers. Those people will make the metal ultimately right. for, for a lot of cars, and he will supply the guts, the Intel inside of a computer. That's going to be Tesla inside of cars. That's going to be an amazing right. business for them. We've talked a lot about Tesla. Let's talk about investing more broadly. I don't know if there's other companies you want, you, you want to touch on right now, but I just want to know in this particular moment, Given where you may think the market is, given where bond prices are, I think a lot of people are really trying to rethink what's the mix of what a portfolio is even supposed to look like in this world, given what's happening in Israel and uh, Ukraine and the like. Are, are you buying stuff? What are you doing? Every day. I'm con I am amazingly bullish. And so basically in 1960s, uh, there was Vietnam War, uh, there was inflation, uh, there were ta assassinations of the presidents of the United States, president of the United States. Uh, there was assassination of Robert Kennedy, assassination of Martin Luther King. Uh, I was a patent office examiner in Arlington, Virginia. Uh, and I went to law school at night and worked in patent office at daytime. And one day, uh, right after King is assassinated, uh, one of my friends, I'm on one side of the office, went, runs over and said, Ronnie, come over here. And I ran to the other side of the building. All of Washington was on fire. Amazing. So we got our motorcycles and drove in. You're not allowed to. We broke into the city, driving around and came back. But that was a city falling apart. It looked like the country was ending. There would be marches on Washington. And the market, the Dow Jones was 1,000. The GDP was 800. 800 billion. That's now 27 trillion. The Dow Jones was 1,000 then. It's 34,000 now. It's five doubles. Five doubles in the last 50 years, 53 years. That means you double every five years, every 10 years, rather. So that means that's when we we're in yep. seven, right? So basically, the way I think about it is that inflation, whenever you have a war, you have a pandemic, uh, you have to have inflation. You have to have, government has to pay for it. And when the government pays for it, then when you come out of it, they have to pay it back. The way they pay it back is not by paying down any debt. They pay it back by making your money worth less. So there's inflation. So the way we think about things is that inflation is going to reduce the value of your money in half about every 14 or 15 years. About 4 or 5% a year is inflation. That's my whole lifetime. 4 or 5%. Sometimes it's 2, sometimes it's 7. But 4 or 5% is the number. So you would never buy a 2-year bond or a 5-year bond or Ever. a 10-year bond? I, I've never owned a bond. Ever? Ever. Not one. So I, um, I'm invested in, and I don't have a lot, of, a lot of cash either. I'm always invested. And whenever I have a chance to buy more, I buy more. So in Tesla, uh, you know, I gave you the sheet before. Yep. It showed that when I started in business, so 1970, I come to New York and I'm in debt. 1982, start Barron Capital. Uh, we had 10 million under management, 10 million, that's an M. Then 1992, had 100 million, now it's 41 billion, and we have 40 billion of profits. So basically, most of the money that we manage is profits. Of course, we had 55 billion a couple of years ago, uh, but that's all right. from a, a depreciation. Now, I think what's going to happen in the next two years, by December of 25, I think we'll be back to where we were in. Uh, and what gives you that confidence? The businesses are growing, and the multiples are now lower. So basically, multiples are now lower, the businesses are growing. You know, the growth in our country is about 7% a year historically. It's about 4 or 5% of inflation, and about 2% is real. The, all the growth that we've had in the United States, in our country, has been in the last 200 years, and it's the last 
20, 30, 40 years, it's accelerating. Growth is accelerating, it's not slowing down. And so basically, it used to be a capital-intensive economy. A capital represented, um, I think it was 65% of book values, now it's 44% or 42%. It's becoming less capital-intense. Multiples should be higher because of that. Still to come on Squawk Pod, more from the optimist billionaire, Ron Barron. He wants to have a rocket that can go up, up and down. We call it, we think about it as the railroad to space. He's shooting for the stars, quite literally, with Elon Musk. This is Squawk Pod. Up and Andrew, cue his mic. Good morning and welcome back to Squawk Box uh, right here on CNBC. I'm Andrew Ross Sorkin. We're live at the 30th annual Barron Conference uh, taking place right here in New York City at Lincoln Center. Joe and Melissa uh, back at uh, the NASDAQ this morning. I'm here with Ron Barron. I want to get uh, back to our host here at the Barron Conference, Barron Capital Chairman and CEO Ron Barron, for some final thoughts before you head off to uh, be the maestro of this day. Should we talk about SpaceX? Yes. Let's, let's do that because that's been one of the, the other big investments you've made. It's a private company, obviously, but it's in your mutual fund. Yes. So the two largest investments we have, two of the largest, Tesla's the largest and SpaceX is fourth or fifth largest. And those two companies, Tesla's 10%, SpaceX is 4%. So that's where 14% of our money is in those two companies. 86% of our money is not in those two companies. And those two companies are going to be among the fastest, will be among the fastest growing companies that we invest in for a long time to come. SpaceX is a private company still. It's being valued in the stock market on transactions for $150 billion. That's in the private market in terms of how people are thinking about that private valuation. That's the transactions are taking place at $150 billion valuation. Uh, I think that ultimately, uh, we think that by the time they go public with SpaceX, with Starlink, in the next three years, 2027 or so, four years, uh, the company will be worth 250 to 300 billion dollars, and I think that by 2030, it could be worth somewhere around 500 billion dollars. So I think we can make four times our money. Over Help the- us understand how how do you get there? What has to happen between Custom- now and then? And why do you think they're going to go public? Is there there's a need to for exits? Well, start, well, a lot of people have been investors for a long time, and they probably want to exit. I don't want an exit in my lifetime. Uh, but uh, there are people who want exits. Uh, the idea, first of all, what they have is that Elon had the idea, Elon Musk had the idea to go to Mars. In order to go to Mars, you need to have reusable rockets. That's what he's developed. No one else has been able to have a rocket you can fly over and over and over again. And he analogizes it to if you're going to go from New York to London and you fly in a 747 and you throw it out after every time right. you use it, it's going to be a very expensive trip. So he wants to have a rocket that can go up, up and down. We call it, we think about it as the railroad to space. Just like the old railroad opened up the west, the railroad that they have is the rocket that goes up and down and you can use over and over again. So other people will cost them to get to space 100, 200, 300 million dollars. They use a rocket one time and throw it away. And then in order to justify spending that much money on a rocket, you have to have satellites that cost hundreds of millions of dollars also. What we're doing is low Earth orbital rockets, uh, uh, satellites, that can go over and over again. And that's a business that can ultimately, Morgan Stanley and Goldman Sachs think that the opportunity is for $1.2 trillion of annual revenues. $1.2 trillion, no one else can do this. We now have satellites in space that are flipping around. You can can watch them. Someone was telling me last night that they actually watched them 
in, in a string. You yes, you can see him string. I've right? seen it. And so it's amazing. But all of a sudden, there's like 5,000 satellites up, and you can have internet everywhere. One more point. The United States government feels it's so important to have internet access and all around the country to everyone have it, that in order to, do, to get internet, it costs you $16,000 a mile to string wire in the ground, 16,000 a mile. They just had an article in the Wall Street Journal a week or two ago that talked about they wanted to uh, wire up houses in Nevada desert. And there were $53,000 per house. Biden has a $44 billion program to hook up so instead of having $53,000 a house, you can buy it, an, right. an antenna for $500. Right, and you skip the whole thing. But my question instead is, instead of, right, of $53,000, Do we not think that there's going to be a competitor to this? And the reason I ask you, so for example, on the satellite front, Amazon has this thing called the uh, uh, Kuiper Project, mm -hmm. right? And they're hoping to, to get into this space. I imagine there may be a couple others, or do you look at this and say, it's like all it's like all the automobile makers who are now Tesla, and, and look how far behind they really are. China feels that uh, seven or eight years that they could be able to reland to, to use a rocket over and over again. Um, and I'm sure they will be able to. It's the United, it's the, China's a brilliant people there. They work hard. Uh, uh, and uh, they're well-educated, right. you know. So basically, of course, they're going to be able to do it ultimately. But we're doing it now, and we've been doing it now for several years already. When we began to invest in, in SpaceX, so we invested in Tesla 2014 to 2016. We invested starting in, in uh, right. SpaceX in summer 2017. How much do you worry about regulation? That was before right. they had satellites. How much do you worry about regulation, given that, that he is effectively has a monopoly right now on getting to space, right? And on these satellites. And the US government is so reliant on it. I mean, we're talking about uh, the war in Ukraine. We're now talking about the war uh, in Israel. There's an enormous amount of power in that. And the question is whether at some point the government says, not that they're gonna try to take take it from him, but try to control it in ways that maybe... Uh, well, someone else has to be able to do it. No one else has been able to do it so far. So he has, by, if he's gonna have 20 or 30,000 satellites, how does someone compete against that? So ultimately, I'm sure that you know they'll break apart, like they'll break apart AWS and, and, uh, and Amazon, and someday they'll break apart probably uh, the, the launch business uh, from the satellite business. This is sort of a first step, the satellite business. But once you, once you have all the satellites up there, then how does someone compete against that? Um, Ron Barron, we want to thank you uh, for a fantastic morning together. It was uh, great talking. I know you got to, you got to get to the stage, I think, in just moments from now. So uh, we're going to say thank you. We appreciate it. We love doing this with you. Congratulations, you 30 years, this. and hopefully we'll have an opportunity to be with you on year 31. We will be back. Uh, thanks for helping. Andrew, a great job. Happy, uh, that, do you say happy Veterans Day? Anyway, tomorrow is Veterans Day. Let's uh, say something nice, ask a veteran about his or her his or her story. That's Squawk Pod for today and for the week. Thanks for listening. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. All three will be back in on Monday. Please tune in weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 Eastern and follow Squawk Pod to get the very best of our show anytime. We'll meet you back here on Monday. Have a great weekend. We are clear. Thanks, guys. <laughs>